Let me show you this uh, image up on the monitor. And one, one mom has a sign, what does it say? I'm breastfeeding my two-year-old. What does the other one say? I chose formula feeding from the start. Now, does, do you have feelings about this war? It might not be your war, uh, but a lot of moms and parents have feelings. Parents are really hard on each other. We judge and we criticize other people's parenting styles and parenting choices, and yet all parents are failures. Now, maybe you hadn't known that before, but I'm here to tell you all parents are failures. We can see the failure clearly in others, but maybe not so much in ourselves. Now, I am fortunate that I learned the lesson of parental failure early, early on. When our beautiful child, Lauren, was born, we were all three of us camping out in that hospital room, and the second day we were there, the nurse comes in and she checks the baby and she says, haven't you changed her diaper? I remember looking at Robert like, what? We, we, that, that was on us? Like, it had never occurred to us to check her diaper. And I remember that look that nurse gave us. And I remember her, um, I'm like, is she thinking, like, is this baby going to be okay? That's what I was wondering. So when Robert and I left the hospital with our beautiful baby, we had already failed her. And uh, we talked about that failure in the car on the way home. But what that failure did was it lifted off my shoulders the pressure, the burden of perfection from the very beginning. And what it also did was it made me resolve to own up to my failures as a parent and ask for forgiveness from my children. And we got much better, let me tell you, we got much better, but not perfect. Sadly, it was not the only time we forgot to change our baby's diaper for a whole day. Now that was another disastrous time, I'm not gonna tell you about that. But we were not perfect. Today, we get to look at broken promises, we get to look at failure, we get to look at sin. Oh, goody. Aren't you glad you came to church today? We are in a sermon series entitled Biblical Meltdowns. And we have been looking at people in the Bible who have suffered epic meltdowns to remind ourselves that we are not alone and that God is with us through these deep valleys in our lives to learn through the experiences of others. And today we come to that feisty disciple, Peter, in the last days of Jesus' life. I'm gonna read Luke's account of the Last Supper interactions between Peter and Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. And so this is Jesus talking. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. Now, these are chilling words. The sifting, the violent jolting, the disciples are on the precipice of this shaking event, which will test their faith to the utmost. 
Jesus' words here to Peter are a reminder to them that what is going to happen next is an attack by Satan on Jesus, on his work of his kingdom, and on the resolve of his followers. They will be tried and tested. And how will they fare in this sifting? Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, the plural, all of you will be sifted in verse 31, changes to a singular you in verse 32. So Jesus is looking into the eyes of Peter and talking to him personally. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned back, look at that phrase, Jesus knows full well at this point that Peter's faith will fail. But look here, before Peter knows anything about it himself, Jesus is already talking about the road back to himself. We'll come back to these words. But the power of what Jesus is saying to his followers here, his disciples are about to hear Jesus pray for them. That prayer is recorded in John chapter 17, after the Last Supper and before Jesus is arrested. And that prayer applies to us, too. You can read it in John 17. Verse uh, 33, And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Did he go like that? <laughs> to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. We believe all kinds of things about the strength of our will, the strength of our faith, when we are in the comfort of our home, when we are surrounded by friends and fellow believers. But will our faith at, at hold at the test of suffering? Will our faith hold at the point of a spear or at the impact of violence? Will our faith hold to Jesus when we are tempted? Will our convictions hold when we're just one alone? That's how we feel, one alone, swimming against the currents of this society. You thought you were ready to go to prison and death, Peter. Let's see how that plays out. Now, hours go by, to be fair to him, hours go by after he said those words, and a lot of stressful and hurtful and painful Dangerous things happen. Jesus is arrested. To Peter's credit, he follows Jesus from a distance as the armed mob brings him to the high priest's house. Verse, 20, verse 55. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, so that's the wee hours of the morning, Peter sat among them. Now, we're going to find out who they are as the account goes on, but this huddled group in the courtyard um, is, is around a fire. And Jesus himself has not been taken yet into, inside the house, but was still on the outside. He's away from the crowd in the courtyard, but he's still visible. Verse uh, 56, then a servant girl, seeing Peter in the firelight, stared at him and said, this man was also with him. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. 
And then an hour later, still another kept insisting, surely this man also was with them, for he is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Have you ever said anything, something bad about another person that they overheard that you did not mean for them to hear? The Bible left out the actual curse words, but Peter was a fisherman, and he had a lot of them stored up, and he let them out in a vehement, forceful, hateful betrayal of his best friend and teacher. He denied the close and intimate relationship he developed with Jesus. He left Jesus hanging, literally, as it turned out, all alone in his hardest hour. Someone said about this moment, the hour and power of darkness overtake Peter. And what would it have meant to Jesus to have Peter declare his commitment to him? What was Jesus feeling as he stood there? What if, like, what if Peter denied him twice, but then he burst out, okay, all right, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't care what you do to me. What if he declared his loyalty loud enough so that Jesus heard him? But no, Peter explodes with denials, and then suddenly, immediately, verse 60, at that moment, while he was still speaking, cock-a-doodle-doo. The cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Contemporary artist Wayne Forte composed this piece entitled Peter and the Rooster. Notice the dramatic, bold lines of the rooster. Notice its position above Peter, on top of Peter. Notice that the rooster is victorious in that showdown. A total, complete meltdown of integrity, loyalty, and faithfulness. A meltdown of love into something that was bitter and ugly. This is the big F. Peter flunked his test of faith. Peter's betrayal is the highest sin anyone can sin to betray Jesus, to deny Jesus. And Jesus simply turned his head and looked at Peter. Now, what was conveyed in that look? Was it sadness? Was it condemnation? Was it hurt? Or maybe even compassion. That was the last look between them. Peter didn't have a chance to make it right. Jesus was killed the next day on the cross with the disciples watching from a distance. This is truly the lowest point in, Jesus, in Peter's life. His biggest failure. And we know he's had a few of those. What was he saying to himself in those days after the crucifixion? Was he hard on himself? Did he excuse himself? Did he confess his sin to the others? Did the others know what happened in that courtyard? Did he tell them? 
To their credit, all of these disciples and followers hung together as a community in mourning. And then Resurrection Sunday comes, and Jesus is alive, and Peter had a couple of encounters with him along with all the others. But then we come to a longer interaction at the end of John chapter, John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Peter, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. <laughs> Does that, that? Does that make you laugh? He put on his clothes because he was naked. You've got to have a little respect. And then he jumped in with his clothes into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off, like football field length. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This miracle was for the disciples alone. The fish was already cooked. There was fish already cooking when the disciples came to shore with their haul, and the bread was already baked. Jesus didn't need their fish. Jesus is the source of life for his disciple. He is the gift giver who provides life-sustaining nourishment. This miracle is linked with Jesus' first miracle of turning the water into wine at a wedding, and it's linked with the feeding of the 5,000. Early morning breakfast on the beach with Jesus. It just doesn't get better than that. Except, Except there was a heaviness with Peter. There was unfinished business with Peter because of his betrayal. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You see, Peter has learned his lesson here. He had professed his faithfulness to Jesus before, loudly, insistently, and Jesus had prophesied Peter's betrayal right back at him. So this third time, Peter knew himself better. He knew, and he knew, but he knew, but he knew that he loved Jesus. But by now, he also knew his own weaknesses. So this time, he said, Lord, you know everything, so you know my heart right now but you also know more about my future than I do. I'm hoping you don't say the word rooster next. <laughs> you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus gave him the occasion to take back those three denials, each time taking back one of those denials. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after, he said, after this, he said to him, follow me. The Lord did indeed know everything, and he told Peter... What must have been good for him to hear, you get a second chance. When the test comes next time, you won't fail. And you will go to prison and die for me. For Peter, that was good news. Today, somewhere in the world, people are in prison for Jesus. People still die for Jesus in this modern day. It's dangerous to be a Jesus follower in some parts of the world, but not here, not so much. But we still have to ask ourselves the question, will I give my all to Jesus? The tests will come. They will take a different format than Peter's test. But following Jesus is very countercultural. And it means that we will clash with the society around us. And we know also that Jesus called us to die to ourselves as well. We will have to take a stand for Jesus, not once, once, but many times as we follow him. We will have to speak up for him when it's uncool to do so. We will have to tell others about him when that's frowned upon. We will have to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. And we will have to leave behind sin. This is a huge challenge for us as followers of Jesus. And I hope that with all the intensity and bravado of Peter, we answer those tests that come our way by saying, I will die for you, Jesus. I hope that our love for Jesus shines through every single aspect of our daily living. But we're talking about meltdowns today. So what if we fail, Jesus? What if we stifle our relationship with him instead of nourishing it what if we betray him? Jesus himself gave us the pathway out of failure in Luke 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And when, you once, when once you have turned back, you strengthen your brothers. 
the road back, the road back from failure. Jesus is talking about his prayer. Prayer is the number one thing for the road back from failure. Uh, he's talking about his own, own prayer in this verse, and we can lean our whole weight on Jesus' prayer for us. We can throw ourselves upon it. We can trust that it is truly our safety net so that if we do fall, it isn't beyond repair. The possibility of repair, our fall isn't into a dark chasm beyond Christ's reach. And we didn't read this part of the story, but Jesus had asked his disciples to pray because they were going into a time of testing, but they fell asleep instead. Remember that in the garden? Three times he asked them to pray. Interesting, isn't it, that three times Peter denied Jesus? And if he had shored himself up those three times with prayer, maybe he might have done something different. He might have aced that test when it came. Our prayer life is critical. The road back from failure starts with prayer. And secondly, we must turn back to Jesus. There are many differences between Judas' betrayal and Peter's betrayal of, of Jesus. And one of them is that Peter came back to Jesus for forgiveness. He didn't let his real guilt drive him even further into shame and then even further away from Jesus. Bad as it must have felt, Peter faced the resurrected Jesus again, got to look into his eyes again, even with the knowledge of his failure, which must have been very heavy for him. Some people take their guilt seri seriously, which is good. But then they keep themselves in a place of shame. And we have to process at what we've done. We have to speak out loud what we've done wrong. But our way out of shame is through accepting that Christ's death frees us from guilt. Forgiveness and healing always come from Jesus. And there's no way we can go back and make the wrong right. But turning to Jesus walks us through the door of forgiveness back on the pathway of discipleship. And thirdly, uh, the road back from failure um, leads to the community. So staying in the community of faith. Peter didn't go off on his own. Staying isolated really in our failure usually results in more of a meltdown. We stew in our own juices. We stay stuck. We fan the flames of that meltdown. But a community that it ha itself has sinned, can I hear an amen? amen. And been forgiven. Amen. A community of grace can love us back onto the road of wholeness. We can do that for each other. And fourthly, even in our failures, we can, if we have returned and we have repented, we can strengthen others. We can use our failures to help others. When we've been restored, what we went through, those experiences, we can help others who are going through it. Jesus said, strengthen your brothers. A humbled and forgiven Peter did exactly that. Fueled by his love for Jesus, Peter got busy for the kingdom. 
And that's what he's known for more than his failure. Now, who here has failed big time? Yeah. You know, I am not talking about a diaper change, miss, here. Big time. Yeah. Who here has sinned? Who here has done the wrong thing when we've known what we should have done is, instead? How does that feel? Hurt. Hurt. Does not feel good, does it? There is a road back to wholeness. And it runs through Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way. Let's take him at his word, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, a whole lot of broken people up in here in this church. We are still struggling with stuff, even if we have been following you. Even if we know you. We are still failing some tests. Mm, mm, mm. So we pray, Lord, we pray that you would look at us with eyes of compassion, bring us back to yourself, illuminate through your Holy Spirit the areas of our life that we have to bring to you, the ways we have excused ourselves and our actions and our thoughts. Bring illumination to that through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, and then help us as we return to you, Lord, because we need you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.